welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 391 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm really asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. Let me first start by saying Happy New Year's. This is the first episode of 2024. I did a clip that I put out on the first, pretty much telling everyone Happy New Year. And I hope that 2023... Uh, brought you blessings and i hope and i expect 2024 to be better than 2023 um it gives more opportunity i I just feel i like to add things for the podcast every year and i don't know exactly what i'm going to add yet but i just think it just feels like this is a year of growth and this is a year that you know we can we can maximize and and i'm excited so again happy new year and i thank you for being here you know what i'm saying and let's start obviously with college football and the two semifinal games that we saw let's first start with the rose bowl michigan beat alabama 27 to 20 in the rose bowl this is the first i mean Michigan has struggled mightily to get out of the semifinal round. They've been to, I think, three or four of them, and they've lost every single one before this game. And first of all, let me give a a humble shout-out to myself for picking this game right. And exactly what I thought would happen in this game is exactly what happened. Now, I was one for two. We're going to talk about... Uh, Texas and Washington after this, but this was the one I got right. So shouts out to me. <laughs> but I talk about habits a lot. And I talk about developing habits throughout the season. A lot of the times when I have that conversation, it's in reference to the NFL and how it's very hard to build a habit throughout the year, throughout the season, and instantly think that's going to change or instantly think that you can just flip a switch and and completely kill all the habits that you built throughout the season. We're going to talk about week 17 of the NFL season, and a lot of times you're going to hear me talk about habits again. Well, going into this Alabama-Michigan game, What habits did we see Michigan and Alabama build? One of the biggest reasons and one of the main reasons I was confident that I thought Michigan was going to win this game is because of the habits that they built throughout the season. Michigan, and I talked about this when I talked about Baltimore Ravens and, you know, hardball-led teams. They don't care how they win. They are just going to win. They're going to play their game. They're very rigid in in changes as far as their approach to the game. Because it's been so successful, I mean, at this point, they're 14-0. It's been so successful, why would you change? But they're very rigid on changing because they have found a formula for success. Smash mouth football, defense first, running game, and then you hope that the quarterback can give you something spectacular, but you don't need to give you something spectacular. You just need to be on point in certain moments. You see, not a lot of times can that formula work because you don't have the players, you don't have the personnel to do that. 
There are times where you see teams that try to be one way, but you look and say, I understand what you're trying to do, but you do not have the personnel for that. Some teams are able to adjust. Some teams are not. Michigan has been one of, if not the best defense in college football this entire season. Michigan, while they're, the, the stats won't tell it, Michigan has been one of the best and one of the most consistent running football teams in the nation all season. Yes, there's been the only turmoil. That's another thing because people talk about turmoil and people said that there's been a lot of turmoil and a lot of distractions with this Michigan team, but that's not true. The only distraction that has been, honestly, has been with the coaches. When we talk about Jim Harbaugh and being suspended twice or when we talk about the whole sign-stealing thing. I think the sign-stealing thing, which, of course, people were saying that Michigan had unfair advantage stealing signs, even though everyone pretty much steals signs. I think that was the catalyst to bringing this team together and to saying, okay, we're going to prove to them that we are, in fact, as good as we have been. And because a lot of people were saying that this Michigan team is only good because they're stealing signs, but they, they've been on a tear since. But like I said, it's habits. We just talked about Michigan's habits. What habits have Alabama developed this year? Well, Alabama is still Alabama. Let me not, I'm not taking anything away from Alabama. Nick Saban is still one of, if not the greatest college football coach we've ever seen. You still have the brand of Alabama and the smash mouth football. But the thing that Alabama has had that no one really hasn't since Nick Saban has been there is the consistency of the brand. And what I mean by that is, when we talk about the brand, what is the brand of Alabama? Consistent, machine. We're going to be physical. We're going to be mistake-free. We're going to be aggressive. We are going to beat you in every facet of the game. That has what they've been able to do their entire Nick Saban era. And the way that you can the way that you can continue that is the players is recruiting is having the personnel that embodies the coach. You know, you've had a Derrick Henry, you've had a Mac Jones, you've had a Tua Tagovailoa, you've had a Bryce Young, you've had a Jalen Hurts, you've had a Devontae Smith. Like it's it's very. Recruiting, I talk about this all the time. Recruiting is very important, and recruiting is the backbone of college football. Well, Alabama, year after year after year, continues to be amongst the top teams of recruiting, and they recruit the same type of players. Now, obviously, those players go on to do great things either in life or in the NFL, but that is how they're able to keep this engine going. This year, however has been different this is one of the first years Alabama has gone in without having a clear-cut vision of what their quarterback situation was like again Jalen Milrow who was the quarterback of the Rose Bowl was benched I think the second game of the season 
This was the first Alabama team that you saw really had holes. That's another thing. Alabama teams would have holes, but those holes weren't as detrimental as they were against Michigan. Alabama, there have been times when their quarterback play hasn't been the best, but they've had a a Hall of Fame running back like a Mark Ingram, like a Derrick Henry, like a, a TJ Yeldon. Their, their offensive line might not have been the best, but they've had a historically great defense. So I'm not saying that these Alabama teams have been perfect, but they've had They've had a unit that they can lean on. Well, this is the first Alabama team that didn't really have a unit to lean on. Yes, they had a good running back. They were, Harris has been was a good running back. Jalen Milrose, we talk about the maturation that he was that he's that we've seen from him from the beginning of the season to where to the Rose Bowl and how meteoric that was. And just how meteoric and how this team has improved from the beginning of the season to now. However, we talk about habits. And sometimes there are things that you, things just get in your own way because you just can't get over it. Alabama has struggled all year with the, the their center in, in the snap. They've struggled all year. Their offensive line. I talked about that last episode. This offensive line can be beat. This offensive line is one of the weaker offensive lines in the Nick Saban era. And on top of that, this is one of the weaker defenses in the Nick Saban era. And you know how outside of the loss, right? You know how you know I'm right about that? As soon as Alabama lost. What's the first thing they did? I don't know if it was projected. I don't know if anyone saw it because it was one of those media dumps seeing as though people were celebrating the Rose Bowl, people were celebrating the Sugar Bowl. Alabama made a call, I think to their AD or whoever's in charge of this, to try to get more NIL money. Means they know that they're at a recruiting disadvantage. And when you look across, and this is one of the first times, I think, in the Nick Saban era, outside of maybe last year, these last two years, I'll say that, it's probably the first time where you look, where Nick Saban looks across the field, Nick Saban looks at the team, when you look at the offensive line compared to the defensive line, the, the when you look at the wide receivers compared to the corners, when you look at every position, this is probably one of the first times where outside of probably the quarterback because when we talk about athleticism Michigan had players Michigan's units were much better than Alabama's units yeah Alabama has players that are obviously going to go to the league but when we talk about a unit there was not a unit on that field in the Rose Bowl that was better that, that, that Alabama did not have a better unit anywhere than Michigan. But let's talk about the Rose Bowl for a second. There are times when a team is able to go off script and 
actually, no, let me, let me, let me step back. One thing that's also important in, in sports, especially college football, is halftime adjustments. And one of the reasons why this game was so close is because you saw halftime adjustments from Alabama. Halftime adjustments is why Alabama ultimately won. Of course, it was a miracle play, but halftime adjustments is what won Alabama the game against Auburn. And are you able to execute your halftime adjustments? And Alabama executed. I mean, they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, in the in the yeah, in the fourth. While Michigan scored 14 in the second half. Michigan has been the better team all year. You can argue that Michigan has been the best team all year. And if you want to know, if you want a microcosm of what happened in the Rose Bowl, for one of the first times, obviously it wasn't the first time, but one of the rare times in the Nick Saban era, he and his entire coaching staff was outcoached. Yes, we talked about the units. We talked about Michigan just having better players. We talked about Michigan having better units than this Alabama team. We talked about the fact that Alabama has a rich history. And when you talk about the maturation of their own players throughout this season, it has been incredible. But the the crux of it all is Michigan outcoached Alabama. Jim Harbaugh outcoached Nick Saban. That doesn't take away from how great Nick Saban is, but that's what it was. You see... It was looking, it was, Nick Saban really put on a coaching clinic in the second half because you, you realize the, there's only one thing, nothing was working in that, in that first half, nothing was working for Alabama, nothing. And on top of that, it it just looked like the physicality was getting to Alabama, like Michigan was just on a different level when we talk about their defensive line compared to Alabama's offensive line. It was it was just on a different level in that first half. But there was one thing that was continuously working for Alabama. And there was only one thing, only one thing. And that was Jalen Milrow using his like the run pass option, RPO. And they ran that to damn near perfection the second half, which is why the game ultimately went into overtime. Michigan is a complete team. I don't know. I I think the weakest part of this team is J.J. McCarthy. 
obviously. I'm not going to say obviously. Let me take that back. The weakest part of this team is J.J. McCarthy. From where he was in the beginning of the year to now, there has been sort of a regression. But with him regressing, he's still an incredible quarterback. And he still, he doesn't make the huge plays like uh, Michael Penix. He doesn't make, you know, spectacular throws down the ball even though he did have one crazy throw and catch in the Ohio State game. But even with J.J. McCarthy being their, lack of a better term, weak link, you still have Blake Corm. You still have this running game. You still have the offensive line. You still have the defensive line. You still have – this is a complete team to the fact that – while, yes, J.J. McCarthy is their weak link, that doesn't hinder this team. And it's, it's been like that all season. Michigan has been Michigan this whole season. They have been arguably the best team this whole season. And they just showed that. And, and the reason why they've been the best team, out again, Every facet of the game, every position, every unit, and the coaching. All of it has been an A-plus outside of the Jim Harbaugh stuff. But even in that, even in that, they've prevailed. You can talk about the last play of the game, the one that ultimately sealed the win for Michigan, and that was obviously the, I don't even, uh, the quarterback draw in, in overtime that essentially ended the game for Alabama and how I'm not a football savant. I don't know the ins and outs about play calling or why someone makes a play, why someone would call this play the situation, why someone would call that play the situation. I'm not a, you know, I I don't know the ins and outs of why people do what they do. I can tell you that it looked crazy in the moment. Like, yo, did he just run a quarterback draw at the three-yard line against a Michigan defense? Against a Michigan defense that hasn't really or has kind of shut down the run? I don't know. I, again, I do know that Jalen Milrow has been was dominant the second half using his legs, but yeah, I think it goes back to coaching, man. But I don't know because there are some people that say that that was a great play. It was just ran wrong by Jalen Milrow. Some people say that why the hell would Nick Saban call that play, especially after using burning two timeouts? Yeah, I don't know. But hey. One team in Michigan is on their way to a national championship. The other one is on their way home, and that is Alabama. I'm going to talk about, you know what, I'm going to save that for later. Let's go over to, uh, let's go over to the Sugar Bowl. The, the game that I was wrong about in so many areas. <laughs> like... I put too much stock into Texas's defense. 
Now, to be fair, while Texas was ranked third in the college football playoffs, I did think that Texas had one of, if not the best defenses, probably next to Michigan's in in the in the remaining four teams. And I thought that the Washington Huskies had the worst of the of the four teams. I knew that I thought that two things one two things are going to happen. I thought that this was going to be a defensive bout because of Texas and and the the their defensive line is one of the best in the nation and just their corners are great. Or it was going to be a shootout because Quinn Ewers is able to to throw the ball all over the field. We know Mick, Michael Penix was the was a runner up for the Heisman. He what he does with the ball is incredible. And obviously for for all the praise that I'm giving myself for picking Michigan over Alabama, I was drastically wrong picking I picked Texas over Washington. Well, Washington beat Texas 37 to 31. Now, obviously it ended <laughs> the ended, I mean the ending was was crazy. But this game was won. How do I how do I explain it? I'll explain it like this. To me, both of these teams, I know it may may not it didn't really feel like it in the game as much, but both of these teams were equally matched. Obviously, the game changer was Michael Penix. I mean, he went 29 for 38, 430 yards and two touchdowns. That's <laughs> and their wide receiver. I mean, Adunze had six receptions for 125 yards. That's <laughs> that's that's incredible. So when you look at those numbers, it obviously doesn't feel like it. But both of these, I mean, you. Even with all that, Washington won by six points. And they could have lost if, you know, the final play went differently. But both of these teams were equally matched. One thing that I didn't talk about when we talked about Michigan and Alabama that I'm going to talk about now is mistakes. I talk about (laughs) one thing that I talk about all the time on this podcast is the margin of error and how margin of error is different. North Carolina basketball, they played College of Charleston over the weekend. We're not going to talk about it here, but the margin of error that North Carolina has playing the College of Charleston compared to the margin of error against playing someone like Kentucky is different. When you're playing a team that is better, when you're playing a team that the talent level is close to yours or could be better than yours, your margin of error goes or goes down considerably because and and. That's another thing that I haven't really explained. What is the margin of error? 
The margin of error is how much wiggle room do you have before it gets detrimental? How much wiggle room do you have before the errors, usually self errors, start to be start to negatively affect not just your team in the moment, but the outcome of the game? That is a margin of error. So when you're when North Carolina is playing someone like a College of Charleston. You can have, even though you don't want it, obviously, but you can afford to have 20 turnovers. I'm not saying they did, but you can have 20 turnovers because the talent gap is so wide between the University of North Carolina and the University of Charleston. That those 20 turnovers are not going to affect you the same way 20 turnovers would affect you if you're playing against the University of Kentucky. In the Rose Bowl, I thought the margin of error, I, I mean, obviously when you get to the college football semifinals, the margin of error is slim because all four of these teams or the team that you're playing is close to skills, close as far as skill-wise to you. And I thought the margin of error was small and the Rose Bowl started off with a potential <laughs> a potential interception. J.J. McCarthy threw it. Alabama player caught it, bobbled it, but I, I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be Alabama game. I'm wrong. My predictions is wrong. On top of that, we saw a, a bevy of special teams blunders against Alabama. I mean – we saw a missed kick. We saw a missed field goal. We saw a missed PAT. We saw t multiple gaffed punt returns that resulted in, or one resulted in a turnover, one didn't. But one could have been costly at the end of the game. Now, ultimately, Michigan overcame those mistakes. But that's where we get to Texas and Washington. As we see from the score, 37 to 31, both of these teams were they were close as far as level of competition. They were close as far as skill. Michael Penix throwing the ball all over the field, not in a bad way. Again, he had 430 yards. But even in that, the game was still winnable. By Texas, the thing that killed Texas was the margin of error and the mistakes. How many turnovers? Let me see. How many turnovers did Texas have? Texas as a team had. Two turnovers. Two. Now, now, on top of that, they had 10 penalties for 66 yards. Now, you're hearing that and saying it's only two turnovers. I mean, Washington had one. Cool. Two turnovers isn't that much. Cool. 10 penalties for 66 yards isn't that much. Cool. But 
compound that into your team lost by six points. You think one of those turnovers could have possibly, instead of taking one of those turnovers away, could have been maybe a field goal, could have been maybe a touchdown. I know one of those turnovers was, it was a butt fumble. The player literally ran into his teammate's butt and, the thing, and, and dislodged the football. And some of those Texas penalties were costly. Like, costly. You see, when you're going against a prolific offense, and I talked about this last episode, you don't have, yes, you you have a good defense, but you can't, the thing about a prolific offense and the thing about Washington's offense is they do, we've seen them flip the switch mid-game. And we've also seen what their strategy is, is, and I've never seen this before, ever. Now, I'm sure there's going to be people in my comments that say, no, this happened before, this used team used to do it. I appreciate you guys, because I don't remember. But as we speak, I don't think I've ever seen a team with such an explosive offense like this, in such a fast Offense also specializes in, in milking the clock. The The announcer said it the whole time. We saw it in the game. What, what Washington likes to do is they like to build a lead and then milk the clock, which is smart. So and, and they like to milk the clock so much that when you get the ball and you're already down maybe two scores, it's almost impossible for you to come back because they've run so much time off the clock. And I've never seen it. I've never seen a team be so prolific offensively and also have the innate skill, because it is a skill, an innate skill to literally burn the clock. And they're not burning, then they're still burning the clock, being prolific. It's just they they go in warp speed and as soon and again I've never seen they go at warp speed and as soon as they get the lead, they per, push like ho, hold the emergency brake and come to like a complete stop. And then they just they just roll on by. They just they just coast. Now, not coast in a bad way because that sounds negative, but they just they do everything that they're supposed to do. I've never seen a team be able to do that. And again, it goes back to the margin of error. When you have two turnovers, when you have 10 costly penalties, and a lot of those 10 penalties came at the third and fourth quarter. And on top of that, Quinn Yours, I know you can see 318 yards and say, damn, he was he was going crazy. Most of that didn't come till the third, fourth quarter when they had to just let the ball go. Now, I'm not going to give my prediction until Saturday, seeing as though the national championship is on Monday. But what I will say is there was a lot of missed opportunities for Texas. Some of the, I'm sure that there were some throws that Quinn would like to get back. And 
how prolific Michael Penix looked and this offense looked and how good this defense looked. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to take away from the defense. Texas still had a shot of winning. A good shot of winning, too. Man. Man. I'm, I'm just... I'm just sitting here. We saw. There's always been a game in this college football playoff format. There's always been a game that wasn't close. Like we had even it can even be in the national championship. We had Georgia destroying uh, TCU. Alabama, I think, crushed a team when a crush Cincinnati. There's always a team that you you feel doesn't really belong. And I think that with the whole Florida State thing, which we're going to talk about a little later, the whole Florida State thing, I was – you looked at it and thought that, okay, both all these teams match up. But what I'd love is that we had two incredible games. And in their own right, both of these games kind of went the way that we thought they were going to go. Again, I thought Texas' defense was going to – put up more of a fight than they did. But I wasn't shocked that a, a, a offense led by Penix and led by yours was going to be in a shootout. And with the Rose Bowl, I did. who would have thought that we'd have a defensive bout until the end and went into overtime? And what do you know? The running game and the, and the trenches won this game for Michigan. That's crazy, man. And honestly, I think this is exactly what we're, I mean, you have two remaining undefeated teams. Wouldn't like to, I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been great. Any, I would not have won any other way outside of Oregon because, you know, I'm an Oregon fan. But you have one of the most prolific offenses in college football going against one of the most prolific defenses. It's going to be crazy. But shouts out to Michigan for winning the Rose Bowl and shouts out to uh, Washington for winning the Sugar Bowl. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this... I know that there's a lot that went down from the from Saturday to now. Like this was probably one of the longest Saturdays to Wednesdays I've ever felt. I mean, you had New Year's Eve, you had New Year's, you had Saturday football games, you had Sunday football games, you had Friday football games. It it was just a lot. It was a lot. So, I know it's going to now I'm going to obviously go into week 17 breakdown and one game that we completely well I'm not gonna say completely forgot about but one game that feels like it happened weeks ago but it kind of only happened a couple days ago was the Dallas Cowboys beating the Detroit Lions 20 to 19 on Saturday night football now this is probably again this is now starting the week 17 breakdown And in week 17, there was a lot of important games. 
Now, usually there are obviously important games as far as standings, as far as um, who's making it into the playoffs, who's making it out. But this is one of the first weeks or week 17s in recent memory that damn near every game had implications, not just on this year's playoffs, but on the draft and on you know, coaching decisions next year. This was one of the most important week 17s that we've seen in a while. And this week 17 has has built up now a very pivotal week 18. But let's stay with week 17. And again, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys beating the Detroit Lions. And... This is one of those rare occasions where I feel worse now about the winning team than I do the losing team. And I feel much better about the losing team than I do the winning team. Let's get this out there now. (laughs) Yes, I think the ref. You don't like to say that a game was lost because of one play, one ref, one bad call. You don't I don't like saying that because to me it kind of it feels like it negates everything that happened throughout the game. And I don't want to be the one to be like, well, yeah, that that play in the beginning didn't matter. It was just that. But I will say this. Both of these teams can honestly look at the outcome of this game and look at the one situation, and that obviously was the botched situation that happened at the end of the game with the ref and the Detroit Lions player going in and registering as eligible receiver, even though the ref said he didn't do that or they said the wrong player did and the player that caught it wasn't the one that registered, even though there's video evidence that pretty much proves that he did. Um, Again, I'm not really one to say that one play ruined or ended a game, but in this instance, I can say that. And I, what's, what's even more disheartening and damning about that blunder from the refs, not only is the conversation that has come out of that game as far as refs versus players in this sense, but this was huge. This wasn't like a week. This, this was... This wasn't like a week three, week four thing. This was huge. And this has major playoff implications. The Lions go from, if they beat the Dallas Cowboys, which they essentially did, that they're now week 18, they're fighting for a one seed. Which now, the 49ers game next week has a lot of implications, as well as the Detroit Lions game. Because now they're 12-4 and four and they're fighting for the one seed. That means, <laughs> that means the playoffs go through Detroit. 
to now you lose this game and now they're at the fifth seed. Now they're pretty much playing on the road the entire time. Or they're playing on the road after the first game. And for the Cowboys, you go from maybe the fifth, sixth seed with a wild card to now you're in the running for winning the NFC East. I understand that Jared Goff did throw two interceptions. And you can talk about Dan Campbell's uberly aggressive play calling at the end of the game, going forward for two, essentially three times. But the issue is you ex- you get you get paid to do a job, right? They my job doesn't pay me to occasional mess ups are understandable. Or occasional missed calls or non-detrimental missed calls are understandable. People are human. Refs are human. Umpires, officials are human. They're not going to get everything right. But the issue and the thing that you want and the thing that you hope for is that you get them right when they matter. Again, this had huge monumental ramifications and monumental uh what's the word the fallout from this is 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 major you essentially could have cost a team a much smoother path to the super bowl potentially than you did and Yeah. If I was a Detroit Pist- Detroit Pistons, if I was a Detroit Lions fan, oh, actually, shout out to the Detroit Pistons for ending their twenty nine game losing streak. Shout out to y'all. <laughs> the wing stop is 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 tired at this point, but shout out to y'all. But yeah, you you cost the Lions a potential easier road to to what could be their first Super Bowl. And yeah, that's I understand why Detroit Lions fans, Detroit Lions players, Dan Campbell was visibly upset. Analysts were upset talking about it because again, I understand people are human, but you expect in situations like this to get it right, especially when you have replay. But going back to my original point, I feel better about the Detroit Lions, even though they lost, than I did about them before the game. And I feel worse about the Dallas Cowboys now than I did before this game. Everything about this game was... Should have been a easy Dallas Cowboys layup as far as wins and losses, as far as winning and losing this game. 
You're playing at home, and Dallas is undefeated at home, pretty much juggernauts at home. Dak Prescott has one of his best throwing, as far as yards, game of the season with 345. CeeDee Lamb has a historic day, uh, 13 receptions for 227 yards and a touchdown. Every the Detroit Lions, what's his name? Uh, Jared Goff throws two interceptions. Everything is lining up for, or every if you look at the stats and you think, oh, well, Dallas won, it was by one, but Dallas won, you'd feel better about the Dallas Cowboys now than you did before the game. But that's why you have to watch the game. And you watch how Dallas, their team made stupid penalty after stupid penalty. Or Dak Prescott threw a horrendous interception. Or the fact that the Detroit Lions, the one of the, the I think, you know, think CeeDee Lamb had like a 92-yard touchdown. And that came off of the Detroit Lions linebacker or Detroit Lions defensive player had a clear shot of Dak Prescott. And if he would have sacked Dak Prescott, more than likely it would have been a safety, negating seven points, which means the Detroit Lions probably would have won. Some way, somehow... The Detroit Lions player that had a clear shot of Dak Prescott completely missed him. <laughs> like, was running up and completely missed him. I don't know. It's like he barely touched him. You know how, like, maybe Dak is strong enough and he he shakes it off? No, he missed Dak Prescott. And on top of that, the defender, the corner that was defending C.D. Lamb slipped. So, it was just a... a a litany of bad errors for the Detroit Lions in that one play. But after this game, it feels, I, I, I don't know how confident I am in Dak Prescott or this, or this Dallas Cowboys team in the playoffs. Because while, yes, they did beat a team, this is the second, only the second game uh, this season where they beat a team that's over 500 or third, I think. They also should have lost. And some of the issues that have plagued the Dallas Cowboys when playing better teams reared its ugly head this game. Again, if it wasn't for the refs' major blunder, Dallas lost this game. You see that's this picture for all my uh, DSP listeners. There's a picture on the back on the back television of the play that Dallas essentially lost on that the refs got wrong. So I apologize for my listening audience. But I feel better about this Detroit Lions team. The Detroit Lions. The defense was good. 
the the running game was still good. And even though Jared Goff did throw two bad two interceptions, he was good. Detroit did everything to win but win. And Dallas did everything to lose at the end except lose. <laughs> that makes sense. So, and I do think it's also tough because the NFC is outside of like two teams right now. The NFC isn't at its strongest point that it's ever been right now. And it's kind of wide open. So while I do not have much faith in the Dallas Cowboys, if the road is where it is now, they have a good shot of playing the 49ers in the second round. And there's no way in heaven or hell I got them beating the 49ers. So I don't know. But I'm not going to take away from them right now. Shouts out to the Dallas Cowboys for beating the Detroit Lions 20-19. to Oh, man. Um, talk about a beating. <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens beat the Miami Dolphins 56-19. to I'll say that again. That was not a miss. That was not a, a misspeak. They beat a team fifty six to nineteen, and I also think it's funny. Before I before I keep going, I also think it's funny that a lot of the media pundits out of Miami were pretty much calling the Baltimore Ravens classless for running or throwing the ball when they were already up like forty eight something. Like they were, they were, they were pretty much saying how the Baltimore Ravens were set to outshine or set to out out or just embarrass the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphin media outlets said that. This is the same Dolphins team that put up 70 points against the the, the Denver Broncos. What are we talking about? That's yeah. But I left this game feeling there should be no doubt at two things at this point for the Baltimore Ravens. I know I've always I, I've given this caveat throughout the season that if I always put it if if you want to give the MVP to a quarterback. Lamar Jackson has to be it. I haven't said that obviously all season, but these last few weeks, Lamar Jackson has been the MVP if you wanted to give it to a quarterback. And I kept saying if, if, if. Because I'm not negating and I'm not taking away from anything that Christian McCaffrey is doing. I think that Christian McCaffrey has had an incredible season. I think that Christian McCaffrey is the MVP for the San Francisco 49ers. And... The San Francisco 49ers, as great as they've been, they would not be nearly as good if they did not have Christian McCaffrey. So that was the caveat that I was giving. But after last week, which obviously the Baltimore Ravens beat the 49ers, and after this week, them dismantling the Miami Dolphins, Lamar Jackson is the clear-cut MVP. 
There's no if you want to give it to a quarterback anymore. No. Lamar Jackson is the clear-cut MVP. When we talk about the importance to a team, there is not a player, even though Christian McCaffrey is up there, there is not a player in the NFL that's more integral to their team than Lamar Jackson is to this Baltimore Ravens team. I hear a lot of people talking about the injuries that the Miami Dolphins had. You know, Jalen Waddle didn't play. Raheem Morster didn't play. Well, there was a bevy of injuries in the in the with the with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, who has played himself into a Pro Bowl, or I think an All Pro team at the safety position, he didn't play. Marlon Humphreys got hurt. I don't think finished the game. There were injuries. Stevenson's or Stevens didn't play. And it didn't matter. You know, there's there's been stats that have come out. And I was thinking about this. And I could be off. I could be a prisoner of the moment. But hear me out. Lamar Jackson. I think this is his third game ever. Or this is his third game of his career, let me say, that he's had a perfect passer rating leaving the game. I think 158.3 or something. And he is pretty much tied a couple players, one being Tom Brady as having three. I think the one person that's had four and had the most perfect passer rating games is Big Ben. And I talked about this last episode, and again, shouts out to that guy on on Twitter. I don't remember your name, so I apologize on that. But he did bring to the attention how good Lamar Jackson is in these moments. And when I say these moments, if it wasn't for injury, Lamar, I'm not saying Lamar Jackson win a Super Bowl, but every single time Lamar Jackson has got injured, the Baltimore Ravens have been either A, atop the AFC North or B, atop the AFC in general. And while I don't think that's going to equate to championships, obviously, because it didn't happen, but Lamar Jackson has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league since he's been in the league. And we've seen a continuous rise in skill with him. He continues to improve. And I was thinking. Is Lamar Jackson. Are we discrediting Lamar Jackson? Now, I'm not talking about the people, again, that still think that Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball. Those those people at this point of lost causes. I mean, on Sunday, Lamar Jackson had three hundred and twenty. 321 yards. He had more touchdowns than incompletions. <laughs> Again, you can, you can you can lead into water. You can't make him drink. 
But I think there's a level. There's still people that doesn't accept or that's hard to accept that Lamar Jackson's play style is not only different than what they're used to or different than the the norm of success in football, but it's still flourishing. And what have we talked about for the longest with Lamar Jackson? If he had a competent wide receiver group, things would be different. Well, this and this is why I said before the season that Lamar Jackson had a really good shot of not only winning the second his second MVP, but the Baltimore Ravens as a whole had a good shot of winning the Super Bowl. Because we've seen what this team looks like with a dominant defense. We've seen what this team looks like with a dominant run game. We've seen what this team looks like with the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews connection. And it's a damn good team. But we never saw what this team looked like when Lamar Jackson has a good wide receiver core. Well, this is the first year that he has that with Zay Flowers and and Isaiah Likely and and Odell Beckham Jr. and Nelson Aguilar. And the Baltimore Ravens are 13-3 and in demolishing people. And the clear-cut best team in football. I'm not saying that they're ultimately going to win a Super Bowl. I think they will. But you never know in football. But what I will say is, maybe Lamar Jackson is better than, maybe Lamar Jackson is closer to Patrick Mahomes than a lot of people think. Maybe Lamar Jackson is closer to those all-time greats than a lot of people are giving him credit for. Because I'm not just looking at this game. I'm looking at the rise that we continue to see with Lamar Jackson. And I'm looking at this team. And I'm looking at find me the holes. Because I can't find him. A defense with Roquan Smith and Jadavion Clowney and what's his name? I always forget his name. And I'm going to say this now because he's one of the best. Uh, Justin Matabuki. I know I said your name wrong. I apologize, bro. But Justin, he's one of the best uh, defensive players in the league because he continues to rack up sacks. Marlon Humphreys, Kyle Hamilton, Gus Edwards, and I don't. If they make the Super Bowl, he might be able to. But Mark Andrews could possibly come back. This team is tough, man. And for the Miami Dolphins. I feel the same exact way about them that I do the Dallas Cowboys right now. In fact, I feel worse about the Miami Dolphins than I do the Dallas Cowboys. Seeing as though the Miami Dolphins have a tough road ahead of them because next week or this week, they have to go against the Buffalo Bills, who we'll talk about in a second. 
And on top of that, they just lost Bradley Chubb with a torn ACL, which if that wasn't the most Derrick Rose type injury I've ever seen, like obviously injuries happen there. Sometimes they can be freak incidences. But the one thing that I would hope is that coaching staffs, players understand how to prevent injuries and you're already down 30. Why is Bradley Chubb in the game? And when I say Derrick Rose type injury, for people that know what happened, I think he tore his ACL the, f- the first time. He, w- he was in a playoff game, or I don't know, it was a playoff game against the Philadelphia 76ers, and they were up like 15 points with like t- a minute to go, two minutes to go. Boom. Bradley Chubb. They already they're already without Jalen Phillips. Bradley Chubb goes out. The 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 chances, any chance they had at the playoffs, they're gonna make the playoffs. But any chance they had advancing in the playoffs is shot, in my opinion. Cause losing he's their best defender at this point. Him and Jalen Ramsey are their best his and they already had they were already without Phillips. Hmm. Losing Bradley Chubb is detrimental, especially when you're a team that already struggles with good competition. Kind of like the Cowboys. The Miami Dolphins dominate the team that they're supposed to dominate, dominate, but they also struggle against teams that they're supposed to be beat. Or that though they also struggle with teams that are on their level or are, are of higher quality, i.e. the the Baltimore Ravens. So, yeah, th- this was just a team. We're seeing two teams right now going in two completely different directions. And I'm not. I think Miami still has Tua has been playing has played good this year. Tyreek Hill, even though he's more than likely not getting to a thousand yards uh, or two thousand yards, actually probably not at all. But he is the first player I think in Dolphins history to have two consecutive 1,700-yard seasons. So, shouts out to them. But it was just a different level. Even And I I understand that there was a drop touchdown by Tyreek Hill. But I just think that there was a different a, a level of class, you know, class levels. There was the, the Baltimore Ravens were playing on a different level than the Miami Dolphins, and it showed. So... Shouts out to them. Boy. So talk about a team that is currently on a meteoric fall right now. And that is the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles lost to the 4-12 and Arizona Cardinals 35 to 31. The Eagles were up double digits. The Cardinals pretty much actually the Cardinals it's in their best their best interest not to win this game for draft for draft order order. And you lose. And 
The Philadelphia Eagles are starting to lose the same exact way. Their defense has been horrible this entire not the entire year, and that's why I said it's been a meteoric fall. Because in the beginning of the year and last year, this defense was good. There hasn't really been a major injury. Uh, the defense has just regressed to now. Their defense is terrible. It used to be their their defensive line was okay, but their back end was terrible outside of Darius Slay. Every single person on the defensive back or the, the back end of the defense outside Darius Slay has been horrible. But now as you look, nothing. There is not everything about the Eagles defense is terrible. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They can't they can't get they can't get out of their way with penalties. They are terrible. And kind of like, and we'll talk about we'll talk about the Chiefs in a second. Kind of like the Chiefs, their offensive, their offense can't pick up their defense. Because their offense has struggled. Jalen Hurts didn't look good. Three touchdowns. He had 167 yards and one interception. The running game can't flourish because the offensive line isn't playing good. DeAndre Swift only has 61 rushing yards. Jalen Hurts had 25. And on top of that, Devontae Smith went out with an injury. I don't know the severity of it right now, but he left on with crutches and a boot. And that don't look good, especially going into week 18 of the season. And when I say meteoric fall... I did. I mean, when I did my predictions for this season, I thought that the Super Bowl was going to be the Ravens and the Eagles. And I talk about I talked about that at the top of the show, developing habits. The Eagles have not developed good habits all season, but they have been able to win because I know it's crazy when you see an 11 and five team and still say meteoric fall like this team was in the running to win the NFC going into going into Sunday. And now they have squandered that. And now they're about to be in a dogfight. They have to win against the Giants, which is not a, lay, uh, a layup anymore. They Because of that defense, they have to beat the Giants and the Cowboys have to beat the Commanders, which is going to happen. Or the Cowboys have to lose the Commanders, which ain't going to happen. This Philadelphia team kind of like uh, this Philadelphia team looks like a, a wild card exit team because of this defense. And on top of that, yo, you know, it's bad when Julio Jones had 34 yards, two touchdowns, Julio Jones. And they they need and they still lost. It just doesn't it doesn't seem like there's any cohesiveness on this team. Which is shocking seeing as though the team just came from the Super Bowl. No cohesiveness, no no 
connection with Jalen Hurts and his receivers or no connection with the run game and the offensive line, no connection with any part of the defense. To lose to an Arizona Cardinals team that had no business winning. They were losing by double digits. And it would be in their best interest to lose. And you won. And they lost. As far as the Eagles did. (sighs) Meteoric fall. Is the best way that I can describe this. Because even if you look now, man, and the last thing I'm going to say on this, even if you look now, one thing that I'm hearing, and this isn't just with the Eagles, one thing that I'm hearing is if something happens, then this will happen. There's always a cause and effect, right? And I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, if the Eagles clean this up, they'll be good. Or if the Dolphins clean this up, they'll be good. They've been developing habits all season. You think that in a game or two or three, they're just going to completely change that if they haven't been able to change that all season? Like, what? The, the misconception about teams that flip the switch is they go from terrible to to incredible. That's not true. We talk about the I talk about the Golden State Warriors a lot because they're a good example. When they flipped the switch, when, when they had Kevin Durant and, and that dynasty, when they would flip the switch, they didn't go from God awful to historic in a span of a timeout. They went from coasting to turning it up and actually caring. But even with them coasting, they're still a good team. What what switch can be flipped with this Philadelphia Eagles team that can essentially wipe away all their defensive problems and they go on a Super Bowl caliber run? If that happens, I will come in here and say I'm wrong, but I think that is... Damn near impossible. What what switch is the Miami Dolphins going to flip right now? Because and this it's it was been in my head too. All year I'm thinking about damn they put up seventy. We know how prolific they are. We know how offensively when they turn up the switch offensively. Yeah, we that they've only done that once. Once, and. As we're obviously seeing, there is not a team in the playoffs that's about to play like the Denver or the Denver Broncos did when when their defense was on a historically bad run. So I I don't feel no type of good about this Philadelphia Eagles team because they have not shown me the ability to flip any switch. In fact, again, that's why I said they're on a meteoric fall because at the beginning of the season they were Super Bowl caliber they were a Super Bowl caliber team they had Super Bowl hopes and I thought that they were still going to make it back to the Super Bowl as I sit here today I'll be shocked if they make it to the uh 
Eastern Conference Final. I mean, no, if they make it to the NF- NFC Championship, I'd be shocked. But we'll see. Ooh. So, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Cincinnati Bengals twenty-five to twenty or twenty-five to seventeen, and. I don't want to talk about anything else about this game because everything that has been talked about has been talked about. The the drops, the Marquez Marquez Valdez scaling had two more drops. Um, Justin Watson had a drop. They didn't even play Kadarius Tony. I don't think Rashid Rice has emerged as their best. Wide receiver. He had five catches for 127 yards. And Isaiah Pacheco has emerged as their best. Oh, he's he's been their best running back. He had 18 carries for 130 yards. Patrick Mahomes had 245 yards. Everything there's there's there was nothing different about this Kansas City Chiefs team than we've seen all season. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Jake Browning high has definitely calmed down. Uh, they, they're not a good team at all without Joe Burrow, even with the weapons that they have. Jake Browning's just not a good quarterback. He, it's kind of like uh, what a water water always finds his level with whole, Joshua Dobbs, and people are wondering, how is Joshua Dobbs on this many teams? Just give it time. People wondering why Jake Browning's been cut from so many teams. Give it time and we'll see. And we're starting to see. But the one thing that I want to talk about, the one thing that I want to talk about, about this game. And it's time to be honest about it. Travis Kelsey. I don't know if I could be wrong. But when I look at the majority of this season and I look at where we are with this Kansas City Chiefs team, which is another team that I'd be shocked if they make it back to the AFC Championship, let alone the Super Bowl. I think we're seeing, you know, think. We've seen the decline of Travis Kelsey all season. A lot of the talk has been about um, the receivers and how they have a lot of drops, which they do. But, Travis Kelsey has a bunch of drops, too, and Travis Kelsey has not been good majority of this season. He may have a game or two where you remind him who Travis Kelsey has been, but Travis Kelsey hasn't been good either. I don't think I think we're at a point where Travis Kelsey, at least this season, things can change, obviously, but Travis Kelsey cannot be. I don't know if Travis Kelsey how do I how do I put this how do I formulate this formulate a sentence Jalen okay um Travis Kelsey has been downright bad this year again there's been games but Travis Kelsey has been bad and what we've liked to do and I say we because I've done it as well this year is again we like to throw all the shade and all the the negativity at the wide receivers for the drops. 
and just for the the incohesiveness of this offense. But a lot of it goes to Travis Kelsey, too, because one thing that we know about football and the one thing that we know about quarterbacks is they're always going to lean on their safety blanket. That's why I was so shocked of how good Lamar Jackson has been playing without Mark Andrews. I'm not saying that Mark Andrews makes Lamar Jackson, but there have been multiple times when Lamar Jackson, that connection with Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews has saved the, the, the not just Lamar Jackson in situations, but the Ravens. Same thing with Josh Allen and, and Stephon Diggs. Same thing with Tyreek Hill and, and, and Tua Tungvaloa. Usually when things get a little tight, players or quarterbacks lean on their safety blanket. And one of the biggest issues with this Kansas City Chiefs is Lamar or Patrick Mahomes has not been able to do that with Travis Kelsey. Because Travis Kelsey has been as bad as these wide receivers majority of the year. And that's another reason why I said that this has to be a defensive-led team now, which is crazy when you have a player like Patrick Mahomes. This team has to be a defensive-led team because the offense ain't been good enough this this whole year, even with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. This offense has not been good enough to carry them anywhere. I always talked about retirement. And one thing that I've been consistent in is when a player is questioning retirement, when a player is talking about retirement, contact sports like football, boxing, UFC, you have to be all in because of how taxing it is on the body, how taxing it is on the mind, and how any play cannot just be you know, season ending, but it can be life changing. Any uh, a way that you get hit, a way that, you know, you run something that we've seen a bevy of non-contact injuries that resort to major ACLs, ruptured Achilles. Those those sports, you have to be all in. Physically demanding sports, you have to be all in because once you're not all in. Once there's a fraction of you that's questioning retirement, I think that's when it's over. Because to me, you you risk more injury because you're not all in it. You may you may push back or decline a little bit in the way you pr- prepare, the way that you train, because you're in your mind. It's like, do I want to keep doing this? And we've heard both Travis or both Kelsey brothers, both Travis and um. Oh my gosh, Travis Kelsey and J- Jason, both tr- both Kelsey brothers, um, speak about retirement. And while you're saying, "Well, Travis, Ke- how old is Travis Kelsey?" Travis Kelsey. Well, no, Travis Kelsey isn't the 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 oldest player. He's 34. And I know in life terms, that's not old. 34 is only five years older than me. But think about the amount of major surgeries Travis Kelsey has had in his career. 
Think about the amount of hits Travis Kelsey has had in his career. Think about the amount of games Travis Kelsey has played in his career. Seeing as though the tight end position is a uh, physically taxing position. I, I think that this season alone has I, obviously this is my opinion and I could definitely be wrong but I think that this season alone has sped up that whole retire, Travis Kelsey and probably Jason Kelsey retiring thing I'm not saying they're retiring at the same time I'm not saying that they're going to retire at the end of the season I don't know but it just seems like and I'm not going to put it on you know who I'm not going to say her name but I just think there has been – this has been a bad season for the Kansas City Chiefs outside of – Pat. even Patrick Mahomes had a bad season because he's tried to do too much because he had to. But this game against Cincinnati Bengals proved to me that – how much did Travis Kelsey – Travis Kelsey had three catches for 16 yards. And the thing that really got me is there's been multiple games like that, especially when they've needed – Travis Kelsey to do more. So, shouts out to the Bing. I mean, shouts out to the Chiefs for winning. I've said this again. I've said this multiple times. The Buffalo Bills, outside of the Baltimore Ravens, is the scariest team in the AFC right now. When we talk about teams going into the playoffs on a hot streak, teams that you do not want to see in the playoffs. To me, there are two teams in the AFC right now is the Baltimore Ravens, which to me is the clear-cut best team in all the football, and the Buffalo Bills. I understand you're beating teams you're supposed to be. Like, they beat the New England Patriots 27-21. to I get that. And I understand that Bailey Zappi had three interceptions. I think two of them went for pick sixes. I think. Um, And Josh Allen didn't have the greatest game. 15 for 30, 169 yards, no touch or uh, no passing touchdowns, one interception. But he did have two rushing touchdowns. But this team is rounding, rounding into form at the right time. There's a thing. In, in sports, we talk about on this podcast line, that's momentum. And momentum isn't just a basketball thing. You're having, you're seeing a team that did suffer a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, players that they're depending on, like Avon Miller, has been no, I mean, he was a healthy scratch. You know what that means when you're a healthy scratch. But the the Buffalo Bills is the last team that you want to play in the playoffs right now outside of the Ravens and the AFC. I think if everything shapes up the way it shapes up right now, right now, the Kansas City Chiefs would play the Buffalo Bills. And there's no way I'm picking the Chiefs over this Buffalo Bills team right now. In fact, there's only one team that I'm picking over the Buffalo Bills in the AFC right now. And that team resides in Baltimore. So, yeah. And for the New England Patriots, bro. Jesus Christ. This team. There's so much bad with the, with the Patriots. 
I, there ain't, ain't nowhere to start. They're, they're talking about Russell Wilson would be a good fit here. Hell no, bro. Like, Russell Wilson already struggles with decent talent in Denver. What the hell you think? Who are the? What the hell you think he's finna do with Kevin Harris, Jalen Rager, Mike Gusecki, Taquan Thornton, who the, Demario Davis, Pharaoh Brown, who had a uh, a costly fumble. Yeah, man. I don't know. Hell no. There's everything. I understand why Bill Belichick is probably gone. Now, a lot of this is his doing, but yeah, that's horrible, bro. Yee. But shouts out to the Bills. I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit because um, this game, this game, this game. So the Chicago Bears beat the Atlanta Falcons 37 to 17. And this is yet another game where Justin Fields was incredible. I mean, he only had 12 incompletions. He threw for 268 yards. He had one rushing touchdown and one passing touchdown. I don't know what you do. You heard the fans chanting that we want uh we want Justin Fields. The players love Justin Fields. I mean, DJ Moore, nine receptions for 159 yards. I don't, I don't know what you do. I think that you're there's no wrong wrong. I think that's the 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 bright side in this whole situation with Chicago that there's no wrong option right now because the the biggest indictment on the Chicago team has been they have not been able to get a solid group around Justin Fields and as we're seeing Khalil Herbert he's been good and DJ Moore Robert Tanyan has been okay but just you give him same thing what we saw with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, same thing we saw with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, same thing we saw with uh, Tua Tagovailoa and Tyreek Hill, same thing we see with, for lack of a better term, Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson. When you have a number one receiver, Kurt Cousins and Justin Jefferson, it unlocks your quarterback. And DJ Moore has pretty much unlocked Justin Fields. Now, yeah, and this, remember I said there are flashes that we see of Justin Fields? This is one of them. There's no way that you, there's no way that you can't say that Justin Fields isn't a franchise quarterback. Now, maybe you trade him, okay, and get Caleb Williams, but I don't know. It's tough because I, again, Caleb Williams could essentially be better than Justin Fields. Cool. But there's a reason why you drafted or you traded up to get Justin Fields. And I would think that an organization would try its best to maximize a player's talent. And they the the Bill the Bears have not done that. But now as we're seeing, it's starting to manifest. 
manifest manifest <laughs> so it's just tough if i'm a front office i'm hating these games because you've locked up the number one seed or i'm not number one seed you've locked up the number one overall pick with the panthers losing what do you do justin like Justin Fields is making this job incredibly difficult for you. <laughs> but shouts out to the Bears. The whole AFC, I'll say this, the worst division in football by far is the NFC South. I would say arguably the second worst, but not because it's what. Arguably the second, I'm not going to say worse. What I'll say is the probably the second or one of the most disappointing divisions, I'll say, is the AFC South. Because you have, you have the, the Texans, the Titans, the Jaguars, and the Colts. Three of these teams are still in playoff contention, but not like, not like, gangbusters you know the Houston Texans beat the Tennessee Titans the Tennessee Titans don't know what the hell they want to do as a franchise they don't know if they want to continue to ride the back of Derrick Henry even though that's got that there's a clear clear ceiling there they don't know what the hell they're doing at the quarterback position you don't know what you get from Will Levis but he's hurt we know Ryan Tannehill is not the option but he still keeps getting what the hell happened to Malik Willis huh the whole Vrabel contract thing, that looks like that's going to be a problem this offseason. Yo, I don't know. The The Tennessee Titans is in the worst place you can possibly be. Not only are you middle of the pact, but you're middle of the pact, and you don't have a clear-cut direction of the future. That's, that's the worst. Um, Yeah, because... <sighs> Yeah, but I don't give – we'll talk about the Jaguars in a second, but I don't give any team in the AFC South a chance in the playoffs. I will say that the, the team with the best chance right now is probably the Texans as far as, like, beating someone in the playoffs, but no. I mean, C.J. Stroud has been incredible. Don't get me wrong. He came back from injury or concussion – 213 yards, one touchdown. You don't know what you don't know. I don't remember who said it, but I think Herm Edwards said it. You're naive. Like, you don't know you should fear a team. You don't know how you should approach. You think you can beat anybody. And, you know, Will Anderson has been good on the defensive side of the ball for the Texans. I still think D'Amico Ryans is the coach of the year, especially if the Houston Texans make it to the playoffs. But, yeah, I don't give none of them a shot, man. They, they... Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the Colts, the Colts beat the beat the Raiders twenty three to twenty. I don't. I don't. You trust Gardner Minshew? Because I don't. <laughs> uh, at all. At all. I mean, Jonathan Taylor had an okay game, had 96 rushing yards and a touchdown. 
And I will say shouts out to the Raiders, man. The Raiders are the void of talent outside of I mean, you have Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, but if you don't have a quarterback in this league, it don't matter who's on your team. You ain't got nothing. And Aiden O'Connell had 299 yards, two touchdowns, but, you know, if you don't have a good defense, if you don't have a quarterback, it's a wrap. And Antonio Pierce, even though they did lose and essentially pretty much out the playoffs, they still, I think that he's earned the right to remain the head coach of this team. Uh, so, shouts out to the Colts. That's, you know, shouts out. The card. <laughs> The Jaguars beat the Panthers 26-0. C.J. Beathard played. Trevor Lawrence didn't play. Travis Etienne rushed over at 100 yards. Uh, The Panthers are still the Panthers. They've been terrible. David Tepper... uh, was caught throwing his drink on a fan after getting shut out by C.J. Beathard and the Jaguars. Let me tell you something. If a billionaire threw a drink of water on me, somehow I have permanent back damage, concussion, in fact, I probably have a broken vertebrae. My eye popped out of socket. I was able to put it back in. I think my ankle broke as well. One, both ankles broke. I think I think I, I busted my kneecap, both of them. In fact, if a billionaire threw water on me, everything broke. I am, you're wheeling me in a wheelchair. With like, <laughs> like, there's, come on, bro. All right, like, all seriousness, I think you have to do something about that. I know it's something, I, when it sounds, it's, it's like it's just a cup of water. But, again, it's still, when you're a, when you're an owner, bro, you're not above, I understand you're a billionaire, but you're not above, because if, if a player did that, I mean, there's players that get fined all the time. There's a player I don't remember his name, but there's a player for the Jets that was going around saying F you to a bunch of fans. Like he was pointing them out and saying F you. He got fined. You you see players get fined for for celebrations and tauntings or whatever. You see players get you see fans say the most vile things to players, and when they react, the player gets fined. I so for an owner to do that, I think that you have to come down hard. I don't know if it's a suspension, a game, or something, or whatever, but you have to make an example saying, yo, if we're not going to tolerate this from the players, we damn sure ain't going to tolerate this from the, from the owners, seeing as though the owners are looked at as someone that needs to set a more of a standard, you know? So, I don't know, but again, <laughs> let, a, let, a, let a billionaire do anything to me. Every bone in my body is broken, and I need to be compensated for every bone. <laughs> um, the Buffalo Bills of the North, <laughs> the Buffalo Bills of the of the NFC, the Los Angeles Rams beat the New York Giants twenty six to twenty five. First and foremost, 
Raise your hand if you knew that Mason, Cros- Mason Crosby was still in the league. Also, raise another hand if you knew that Mason Crosby was still in the league and on the New York Giants. Now, for anyone that watched that game on Sunday, raise a third hand if you thought just like I thought. (laughs) The Tyrod Taylor does everything to get the New York Giants in the field goal position to win the game. Essentially, you slid, but I probably would have uh, get a little bit more yards, but I understand, especially dealing when you talk about someone that's dealt with a multitude of injuries. But raise a third hand. <laughs> if not only you were as shocked as I was to find out, wait, Mason Crosby is still in the league? But every part of me knew <laughs> Mason Crosby was going to miss that game winning kick. <laughs> there was nothing in me that thought that he was going to make that. I said, oh, yeah, he's definitely missing that. Like, there's no way he's going to make that. And lo and behold, the Giants missed the kick. But I will say that the reason why I call the the Rams the Bills of the NFC is I don't think any team wants to play the Rams right now. The way that Matthew Stafford's playing and the way that this offense is playing, the way that this defense is playing, even though they didn't have the best outing on Sunday, they still ultimately got the win. This is this is a hot team right now, and coached by Sean McVay, a Super Bowl caliber or a Super Bowl winning coach with a Super Bowl winning quarterback and Super Bowl winning players. Ah, this is not a team that you want to see. Like they can beat you, they can beat you, and uh, yeah, they're they're kind of like the Bills. They're kind of they're hot at the right time. So hey, shouts out to them. Yo, Mason Crosby, I can't get over that. Mason Crosby is in the league. I thought he retired. Like, what? Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to. Yeah. The Saints beat the Bucks 23 to 13. Both of them are 8 and 8. The Bucks kind of control their destiny because they have to play the <laughs> they have to play the Panthers on um, next week or this week. And uh, if they beat the Panthers, I think they're in. So the Saints put themselves in this position, losing as many games. They should have they should have beat a bunch of teams. Um, but when your offense continues to sputter as much as the Saints does, yeah, you beat you you beat the Buccaneers, but now you have to have a miracle happen. You have to have the Bucks to play as bad as or worse than they played against y'all, and you have to have the Panthers that may not even play for anything, so they might not even play their starters to beat the Bucks. Now Baker Mayfield did pick a hell of a day to turn back into Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Uh, 309 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah. But, yeah. Shouts out to the Saints, man. It's it's going to, you know, their first year, Derek Carr, not even make the playoffs. It's insane. So. 
My mom, I grew up with the mantra, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything. So I'm trying to figure out what to say. Um, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Washington Commanders 27 to 10. Expected. Uh, Brock Purdy was incredible. 230 yards, two touchdowns. Expected. The defense did a surprisingly good job in containing uh, Christian McCaffrey. He only had 64 yards, no touchdowns. That was unexpected. But then Elijah Mitchell had 80 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk went over 100 yards and a touchdown. Debo Samuels had a touchdown. Expected. Sam Howell. What? Sam Howell, yeah, 169 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Expected. Terry McLaurin had an incredible day uh, a week ago with Jacoby Brissett, who for some reason had an ankle injury, I think. Uh, which is why he didn't play. I think it was an ankle. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But Terry McLaurin turned back into this year's Terry McLaurin uh, with Sam Howell throwing the ball. He had 61 yards, one touchdown. Yep. After having going over 100 yards last game. Yep. I'm just waiting, man. I'm just waiting on the day that Ron Rivera is gone. Mm-hmm. I will say, I I really pray to Jesus Christ himself that the I saw a mock draft the other day, or yesterday. And they had the Washington Commanders picking that wide receiver from LSU. They had him picking him second. A team that has Sam Howell as their quarterback and Jacoby Brissett picking a wide receiver. At the number two overall pick, if indeed the Chicago Bears pick uh, Caleb Williams, is damn near a malpractice. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Shouts out to Mike Tomlin. For I think was it 17 straight winning seasons. He's never had a losing record. Now, granted, he is like nine and seven right now. He might be ten and eight or nine and eight coming in the season, seeing if Baltimore plays all their players, which I don't know why they would do that, but we'll see. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Seahawks 30 to 23. Uh shouts out to them. They won. <laughs> I, if there's a place for Russell Wilson, I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers would be the perfect place for him. You have a decent offensive line. You have a really good defense. You have a really good head coach. You have really good weapons on the on the outside. You have really good running back. Perfect. You have Mason Rudolph going for 274 yards. What do you think Russell Wilson going to do? You have Najee Harris rushing for 122 yards. George Pickens had 131 yards. Yeah. 
And the Seahawks, man, that boy, that talk about meteoric fall. Yo, they were there was a point where they were number one in the AFC West. And now they are out the playoffs. <laughs> this offense, man. And it's not really because of Geno. Geno, 290 yards, one touchdown. I don't know what it is, bro. I don't know what it is, but this team went down. Yeah, shouts out to the Steelers. I'm not even talking about this game, bro. I'm not talking about this game. Um. Yeah, the the Denver Broncos beat the Chargers sixteen to nine. Who would have thought that Easton Stick is not a good quarterback? For people that are saying that the Denver Broncos look better without Russell Wilson, you're playing against Easton Stick, and you're playing against arguably the worst defense in football. Yes, Jared Stidham is better than Easton Stick, but. He threw four more yards than Easton Stick. This was an ugly game, bro. Yeah, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to. Easton Stick. Yeah. And shouts out to the Green Bay Packers, man, for beating the Minnesota Vikings 33-10. to Yo, the Green Bay Packers found themselves in the playoffs and or has a really good shot of being in the playoffs. They just I think they need a little bit of help, but they ultimately have to win in week 18. Week 18 is I mean, the Green Bay Packers play the Bears. So that's going to be a really good game. I think it is in Green Bay. Um, Yeah, Minnesota, Minnesota, Nick Mullins sucks, bro. I'm sorry. So does Jaron Hall. Well, Jaron Hall's a rookie, so. But yeah, the the Green Bay Packers, man. Jordan Love has been better than his his, his maturation throughout the season has been really good. Um, Aaron Jones came back and had 120 yards. Bo Melton had 105. Like, and they didn't even have uh, Christian Watson. Yeah, man. Shouts out to them. Shouts out to all the teams in Week 17. Uh. Yeah, man, it was it was it was a good it was a good good week of football, for some. For some. I'm. I'm interested, and I'm 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 excited to have those uh, <laughs> those who's gonna be Washington's next head coach debates, because they're coming. I pray, boy. Let me tell you something. I know all these reports are saying there's every indication that uh, Ron Rivera will be gone by the end of the season, and I can just see it. I can see. I can see it. I can see them going out and and beating Dallas, like they did last year. Essentially, messing up our option of getting the second overall pick. And then they said, oh, you know what? We're going to extend you. And then messing around and getting the fourth overall pick and end up getting freaking a lineman from Iowa. (laughs) All right, let me move on. 
Let's go over to basketball for a little bit. Or for this. Because the biggest thing in basketball was the Knicks. Knicks traded R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and like a second round pick for O.G. Adenobi. Now, let's break this trade down a little bit. This trade... This this trade is major and for two for for a couple of reasons. Let's let's talk about the trade just for the trade. R.J. Barrett has been struggling with the. He probably had his better season last year, but even in that, he has not been anywhere close to the production you would expect from where he was drafted. He struggles with shooting the ball consistently. He struggles defensively consistently. You know, he struggles being consistent. We've seen great R.J. Barrett moments. Then we've seen moments of, yo, you just shot your team out the game. And when you have a bad shooting day from R.J. Barrett and you have a bad shooting day from Julius Randle, that's spelt doom for the team. Uh, So... I understand R.J. Barrett leaving, and I kind of understand Emmanuel quickly because there's no way that you're getting O.G. out of Novi and you're only giving up R.J. Barrett in the draft pick. Um, Emmanuel quickly was their one of their best uh, bench players, and he is – in fact, any single time I hear someone talk about this trade, I, that I hear how hurt they are that Emmanuel quickly left. A lot of Knicks fans liked Emmanuel quickly, and – his instant offensive ability was was paramount for the team. So that's that's definitely going to be a huge loss. But you do get OG Adenobi. And I think they've already seen what he looks like on the floor. They know that he is a player that can give you points, but he's also a much, much, much more exceptional defender than both R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly combined. And... This doesn't – the reason why this trade is fascinating is because I think it's a win-win for both sides. That is the Toronto Raptors and the Knicks, but not in the sense that you think. I think that this gives the Knicks a much-needed defender. I mean, Grimes is an okay defender, but someone that can defend you know, bigger bodies and someone that can defend the, the three all the way to the five at times. Because Julius Randle isn't the best defender either. So it helps with that. And OG Adenobi, who's who's improved on his three-point shooting, and in, he's just improved as a shooter, he's going to be great in that aspect. Um, So that definitely helps the Knicks. I do think the Knicks are – it doesn't change the fact that I think the Knicks are still like the third or f- like the fourth or fifth best team in the East. Even with him, I think that they needed more of an offensive star. If uh, when you look at the East, man, they they have it's it's going to be tough when you look at the Celtics, when you look at the Bucks, when you look at the Seventy Sixers. I can't put the Knicks over any of them in a playoff series. Now, if they had like another star, they had like maybe a Demar Derozan, maybe a Zach Levine. That could change things. And don't get me wrong, OG Adenobi is great, but I just don't know how integral he's going to be in the playoffs against teams like that. I think he's going to be good as far as guarding like a – he's definitely going to get the Jason Tatum 
if he does, if they do go up against him, he's going to get the Jason Tatum assignment. He's probably going to get the Damian Lillard assignment because, damn, Julius Randle going to get killed by Giannis, but you can't put... you can't put Jalen Brunson on on Dame for a whole series. So, yeah, man, it's it's gonna be interesting. I know we do have Grimes too, but yeah. And when I say win for the for the uh, Toronto Raptors, this is the start of a rebuild. This is the essential acceptance of a rebuild. Rebuilds just you know you <laughs> sometimes you are what you are, and the the I, I said this a lot. That Kawhi Leonard championship kind of skewed their perception of where they were, not just in the East, but where their their standings are in the in the grand scheme of the NBA. The Toronto Raptors are nowhere close to winning a championship, and they've been kind of like where the Wizards were for the longest. They've been in denial. They thought that, oh, no, we have OG Ananobi, we have Fred Van Vliet, we have Pascal Siakam, we have Gary Trent. We, we're, we should be close. No. Hell no. And with them getting off of OJ Abinobi, who's going to be a big contract because he's going to need an extension coming up, and you get uh, cheaper players like uh, Emmanuel Quickly who can help offensively this team that is devoid of offense at times, and R.J. Barrett, who's from Canada, this definitely starts the rebuild. And a rebuilding team wants a few things. They want expiring contracts. They want young players. They want draft picks, which is exactly what they got in this trade. Uh, so this is a win-win. And on top of that, it's also, it's a loss for the league because OG Adenobi is one of those players that can change the fortune of a team. Like, I don't think the Knicks is that team, but imagine OG Adenobi on the, the Golden State Warriors. Imagine them on the Toronto Raptors, not the Raptors, not the Raptors, um, the Sacramento Kings. Imagine OG on the Philadelphia 76ers. Those are game changing moves. Um, I will say this, though, with the with this obviously seeing like the they're ready. The, the Knicks are ready. Oh, no. The Raptors are ready for a rebuild. Golden State, if they want to win a championship now, if they want to preserve the the um, preserve or they want to to get the most out of this Steph Curry prime, they better find a way to get Pascal Siakam because you might got to give up Andrew Wiggins, you might got to give up Kaminga, you might got to give up, you probably got to give up Chris Paul, got to give up some draft picks, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, Pascal Siakam, Moody. That you can you can win a championship with Pascal. Uh, OG Anobu's on that list too, but obviously the Knicks got him. So, but yeah, shouts out to the Knicks for getting OG Anobu. And lastly, we have the unpopular topic of the day. You know what's fascinating? People's response to things when they know there's a problem. And they know that there is an issue afoot. And how you see a lot of people address problems with aggression. 
and a, uh, because maybe you don't have the understanding, you don't have the wherewithal, you don't have the the answers at the time. I think that that also breeds frustration for a lot of people, you know. So, obviously, before the college football playoffs, at the end of the year, you have bowl seasons. And you have a bunch of bowls. A bunch of bowls I never even heard of was on TV. That You talking about the... the uh, mowers bowl what's it called bow wow mowers bowl <laughs> or something like that um so this is obviously bowl season or it was bowl season until obviously the rose bowl and the sugar bowl so now you have the national championship but this is bowl season and all throughout bowl season we've seen this problem this year and last year but this problem was was front and center during the Florida State what bowl was that give me a second I'm I'm gonna go check to see what bowl that was the Florida State Georgia game boy now you look at the standings and you say, well, it's not that bad. I mean, you have the number four team going against, or no, number six going against number five, the Orange Bowl. But like I started this, it's very interesting to see how people react to something that you know is an issue, you know is a problem, but how do you react to it in real time when they don't essentially have the answer for it right now? And that problem is the transfer portal starting before the bowls, meaning any player that has put themselves in the transfer portal, which is over a thousand, I think over 1500 players, I believe I could be wrong, but I know it's for sure over a thousand has put themselves in the transfer portal or uh, essentially elected to sit out bowl games. Now, we've had that issue for a couple years now, but it was front and center during the Orange Bowl. Georgia beat Florida State 63-3. to Now, I understand that Jordan Travis was out due to injury. That's, that's actually why Florida State is here. But even without Jordan Travis, Georgia probably for sure would have won the game, but not as bad. But when you have damn near every player, every starter either elect to sit out the bowl game or put themselves in the transfer portal so you can't play in the bowl game because you're technically not really part of the team. You get stuff like that. You even hear Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia, say at the end, people need to see what happened today. And it needs to be fixed. Because there's no way that a completely healthy, completely intact 
Florida State team is 60 points worse than Georgia. But you know what is 60 points worse? When you don't have a when you when your starting quarterback and your backup quarterback and your second string quarterback or third string quarterback either get hurt or elect to not to play. And then you have Coleman elect not to play because he's going to the draft. And a bunch of players that are going to the draft say, yeah, we're not playing. And then you have other players that say, I'm putting myself in the transfer portal so I can't play. You saw that throughout. You saw that with uh, Oklahoma, with Dylan Gabriel didn't play. And Oklahoma lost. Like, you saw that throughout all of college bas- all of college football, man. You saw that with Ohio State. Ohio State, they're <laughs> damn near their entire team uh, said, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to opt out. And Ohio State lost to Missouri 14-3. Like, it, you saw that with Penn State. Shouts out to Ole Miss, but you saw that with Penn State. You saw again Arizona beating Oklahoma thirty-eight to twenty-four. Now, don't get me wrong. Shouts out to Arizona, but no. Like you just saw that throughout college football, man, and that's an issue. Now, I'm not gonna. I'm, I ain't gonna go that far. It, things do need to change, though. I'm not gonna beat on the table or anything, but anyone that looked at the Orange Bowl and and saw, yo, Georgia put up 35 points in the second quarter. That this year's bowl games is again, it's happened for a few years now, but that Orange Bowl was a major, major dent in college football. And I, I don't, I obviously don't have the answers. I don't know how you change that because I know the transfer portal is pretty much built for. You know, it, it, it kind of goes conjunction with the start of school. So the transfer portal is going to be earlier because the start of school is earlier than, you know, kids are going to start classes soon. And I know this your student athlete, you're always a student before athlete. I get that. But that Orange Bowl was a black eye for college sports or college football. Now, let alone. If you would have had what happened in the Orange Bowl and then the Rose Bowl would have been a blowout or or the Sugar Bowl would have been a blowout. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Think pieces galore. So but yeah, that something has to change. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you you can't really push back the transfer portal because, again, it's the start of classes. Maybe you push you, you start the season earlier. I don't know. I know that the the 
12-team college football playoffs that I believe is supposed to start next year, that's going to change things. But it doesn't change the transfer portal. What it just changes is teams, you know, now Oregon gets to try to play for a national championship. Or now, what, uh, Georgia isn't left out being sixth. But, yeah, that, yeah, that was terrible. That was terrible. That was one of the worst. That was so unfair. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Even, I'm, again, I think Georgia, even if completely healthy, now completely healthy, meaning with Jordan Travis, I don't know. But without Jordan Travis, if nobody would have opted out, Georgia still would have won. It just wouldn't be as bad. That's the Florida State team that you thought should have been the college now, yes, I understand that they probably, their resume, they've done enough to make it. But uh, what do you think Florida State, what do you think Michigan would have done to Florida State? What do you think Washington would have done to Florida State? Washington, who's Michael Penix had 430 yards. What do you think they would have done to this Florida State team? Yeah, man. You can't be, man, like the whole team pretty much opted out and got boat raced, bro. It's not good. There you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also... Please subscribe to the YouTube. Uh, I'm trying to get as many subscribers as I can, and it definitely means a lot. Uh, I was talking about in the video the growth that I've seen for the YouTube. Where in last year I started at like 314, and now I'm at like 1.2k. That's that's incredible to me, and I appreciate all of you guys. I hope that you know. Please continue to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. To subscribe. It means a lot. If you get to this point, you're not subscribed. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> and for my, all my all my DSP listeners, uh, please subscribe to every listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether that's Spotify. I I'm, I appreciate you guys as well. I understand that you know some people like to listen to the podcast on the go. Some people like to watch it. I understand that there's two completely different audiences, so I appreciate both of them equally. Please subscribe to whoever you're listening. Please subscribe to the YouTube wherever you get the podcast. Please subscribe. It means a lot. Also, please follow the socials. You know, I, I post pretty much daily. That's the fastest place to get to me. If you want to debate with me or comment on something, just keep it respectful. And I don't mind. I don't mind going back and forth. But yeah, follow me on TikTok. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, again, the link in the description below. It I, I post pretty much daily. So. Follow me. Uh, until next time, much love.